Hi everyone, John Clare here. Welcome to episode 26 of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Like you, we're slowly and safely trying to get back to a moderate and responsible level of functionality here at the podcast, as in life these days. Our last podcast was recorded under full quarantine with everyone remote. This time we have a little bit of both. We've moved into our new space, so if the sound is a little bit different, that's why. And as can be the case with remote guests, sometimes the audio quality isn't perfect. We appreciate your patience as we fine-tune the audio in the new space and hope that it gets better over time. Today, we talked to Tom Lee, an insurance expert with health markets. Specifically, we wanted to address what I'll call the gap years between when someone might leave a job that has medical benefit coverage until they either migrate to a new job with coverage or get to Medicare age. This is something we encounter quite frequently these days, whether it be voluntary or involuntary. We hope you find the discussion practical and helpful, especially if you're considering making a change, but maybe have been intimidated by the thought of losing your benefits and and not knowing where to go from there. If you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Check us out on Twitter or Instagram at EvoFiPodcast, or drop us a line at EvoFiPodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and some fun, too. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. Now on to the podcast. Here's the EvoFi team talking with Tom Lee. Enjoy. So welcome back, everybody, to the EvoFi podcast. We're lucky to have Tom Lee with Health Markets with us today. This is our first podcast in the new space at 2917 West Lee. Uh, we are learning about how awful the acoustics are, and the air conditioning unit has turned back on above us. So bear with us as we get the kinks worked out. Normally, we will have a studio that sounds much better, but since... Uh, Social distancing and COVID prevail. We are all out in a big open area. Uh, today with me, we've got Dave O'Brien and Cecilia Fleming as well. And again, Tom Lee from Health Markets. Tom, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's a neat opportunity we're, to talk. We're, uh, we're lucky to have you here to talk about a topic that we encounter in our day jobs quite often, which is helping folks um, uh, depart the full-time corporate workplace, and often that means being prepared financially to support themselves, but also the big unknown, which is around how to take care of themselves on the healthcare side and all the things that may have been covered before but no longer are. Uh, they've all heard about Medicare, or certainly if we talk to them, they've heard about Medicare, which starts at 65. Uh, but what happens when you leave work at 55 or 60? And I think that's where today's podcast comes in. So we're lucky to have Tom here to talk to us about all those potential options that folks um, would want to look into. Uh, Words like COBRA, words like uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, healthcare.gov, Marketplace, Obamacare, all that stuff, plus more. So um, stay tuned if that is your uh, cup of tea. Uh, But first, and I know this is what Tom was 
most apprehensive about, which is the Evo 5. Now, in full disclosure, I've sent them in advance because I find that lower anxiety levels translate to better performances. Uh, not just for you, Tom, for everyone. But anyway, what we'd like to do is just have a little bit of fun up front if you're still, uh, if you're still up for that. Absolutely. All right. All right, good. So I'm going to spread this around, though. I'm going to let Cecilia ask the first of the Evo 5s. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, I am an intense uh, sports fan and entertainment person. And I, I believe if I had the opportunity to be the uh, business manager or involved in sports entertainment, that would be where I would go. Uh, picture general manager of the Madison Square Garden or uh, in charge of events at uh, the Boston Garden or the Atlanta Convention Center. Th- those types of uh, pretty active events would be something I'd enjoy. When I hear sports entertainment, I think of World Wrestling Federation. Is that similar? That doesn't come to mind for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm just checking. Um, The XFL. That's right. (laughs) On Fox. That's right. Uh, And by the way, where are you from, Tom? You mentioned the the Boston Gardens. Those are. Are are you from up that area? Certainly treasured athletic events. I'm from Roanoke. Born and raised in Roanoke. Hmm. Uh, I thought I recognize the accent. To be fair, though, okay. I don't like the seasons. So when I was 25, I, I bought a van and camped across country and uh, lived in Los Angeles and got into this crazy business. So, you know, and was there about 20 years. Okay, good. Well, but, but you weren't living in the van the whole time. Down by the river. No, no, I was not living on the van. Sorry, Dave. Did not. Okay. Just good clarification there. And uh, we'll, we'll get back into your background here in a little while. So I want to get back to that, the cross-country travel, getting into the business discussion. All right, Dave, I'm going to toss the next one to you. All right, Tom, what is your favorite word? Well, John, you're right. You sent me this in advance. There, there are a lot of words. Um, I'm going to tell you the word that I uh, live by and try to uh, go by. It's, it's integrity. Uh, it's just a word that I try to uh, keep in mind in speaking uh, to others when I'm doing anything. It's uh, integrity. So I, I put that at the top along with some entertainment things. Well, I wish I wish more people would have that as one of their favorite words oh, or certainly really favorite uh, traits. So, um, and I get that sense too, by the way. All right. So this one, you know our friend Brian Gay. I um, do. Once you answer this next question, I'll tell you what his answer was to the next one, and you won't be surprised. But what would you do differently if you knew no one would judge you? That's a, a difficult question when you think about the word I just gave you. Um, I love music, uh, rock and roll particularly, but I cannot sing at all. Um, I do a lot of mouth syncing and pantomime. If I could mm. sing out loud, play the drums, Instead of pantomiming them, I, I would do that a lot more frequently. I like that answer, actually. Drums, is, would that be your instrument of choice? Oh, yeah. Okay. Are you married, by the way? I am. How would your wife feel about you with a drum kit in the house? It would need to be in an outbuilding, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smart move. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I feel bad. Um, in the uh, Evo 5 Name That Tune section, 
it is not a rock and roll song. So had I known that in advance, maybe I could have, this would make it more challenging. One of my favorite songs of all time, by the way, but we'll get there. Now, by the way, Brian Gay said, I think it was uh, not drive the speed limit. Yeah. He would pass on the shoulder uh, and just <laughs> not obey traffic rules in general. That, okay. That would make sense. Apparently in, in Oklahoma, if you drive a big truck, you don't have to obey the uh, rural limits. So, <laughs> all right. Cece, you want to take the, the next one? Sure. Next up, what is your happiest childhood memory and what makes it so special? Well, what makes the memory special for me probably is anticipation. Uh, it's hard. Uh, Christmas Day comes to mind, but then I would have to say going to the beach with my family. Uh, growing up in the mountains, being able to go to the beach, uh, not only with my family, of uh, I have five siblings, or excuse me, four siblings, five children. We would also go with many other families from Roanoke to the same beach on the same week. Uh, one time we counted as many as 99 children from Roanoke at Ocean Isle Beach for this same week. And just the anticipation of being there, enjoying the uh, all that we could do uh, with with that community was, was probably my biggest childhood uh, joy. Great. Wow. What, be, what beach, by the way, did you say? Ocean Isle Beach in North Carolina. Okay. I'm not familiar with that one. My family went there uh, all through my youth. I mean, we went to some other beaches as well, but that's the one where all the Roanoke yeah. crowd uh, went at the same time. Um, incredible memories. I loved it. So, whereas all the people from here go to, you know, like, where do they go? I was going to say, not Myrtle Beach, but what's... Hilton Head, Hilton, Myrtle. Yeah. So, in Roanoke, it's Ocean Isle. Well, now that the secret's out, now that the secret's out, all the Roanoke folks are going to be overtaken by people from Richmond, so. Um, uh, well, there have been a lot of people from Roanoke going to Ocean Isle through the years. Uh, I even traveled from California back to, to Ocean Isle to be with that gang, even when I got to be an adult. Cool. Huh? All right, so here's the last question again. Now, remember, this one is in the theme of the podcast, um, and if I'm going to summarize with the theme of the podcast, it's really about uh, the gap years between when you would stop working and be covered by Medicare. So uh, let's just focus on the gap years. Okay, here we go. Tom, any ideas? I didn't, I didn't get it. I'm afraid the acoustics, Sean, are a bit of a problem. Oh, I yeah, couldn't we've, hear we've heard that one before. I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, I apologize for the uh, the technology. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna look around the table here. Dave seems to know what it is. Yeah, Dave, would you like to announce uh, what that song is? We'll play it in the podcast. So for all you fans. Uh, but well, Dave, John kind of gave, gave gave a little bit of it away by saying the Gap Years because that's the Gap Band and it's You Dropped a Bomb on Me. Uh, I think from like <laughs> 1979 yeah, or 80s. Late 70s, the Gap Band is one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh, my kids love it, but I figured... So you sing it to them as a lullaby when they get asleep. I used to. Yeah. I used to. Yeah. Um, it makes for well-adjusted adolescence. But yeah. we always <laughs> talk about it as the Gap Year, so I figured 
well, the gap ban in this. You know, <laughs> yep. And, and in some cases, somebody will feel like somebody dropped a bomb on them and now they've got to go get their own insurance. Well, so it's I, a great segue into our topic today. I was going to do that. But, oh, uh, great man. Point. You got to re-record that part. All right. So here's the deal. So, Tom, give us a quick overview of um, kind of what you do today and how you got there. And then we'll dive straight into the topic at hand. Well, for about 35 years, I worked with uh, employer benefit plans, employee benefit plans for large employers uh, in various roles. As a consultant, uh, company rep, I was benefit manager with Circuit City for a few years while they were still active uh, and, and a, a company. So with that exposure to uh, employee benefit plans, about three years ago, I became an independent agent with a focus on individuals that do not have access to group health plans. So I can uh, help people with the transition uh, between group plans and, and sort of sorting through the options on their own. So as an independent agent, I, I try to help them make the best informed decision on their choices. And I think that's exactly what you wanted to try to focus in on because uh, there are a myriad of choices that someone can, can have uh, outside of the group environment. And then how long have you been with health markets specifically? Uh, three years. Okay. And then prior to that, you were on the corporate benefit side or had you had other um, kind of stops before you, where you've ended up? Well, several stops. Uh, in California, what I mentioned, I worked with Johnson & Higgins. It's uh, no longer a consultant. They were uh, merged into Marshall Clinton many years ago. Uh, as I said, I worked with Circuit City as their benefit manager. I've worked with insurance companies. All those, the role was helping the employer choose the best corporate plan for their employees um, mm -hmm. in all lines, whether it be just health insurance, but all of their other dental life insurance, or the other benefits that go into a, a program. And many times, which we may hit on, someone that doesn't have a group plan does not have access to some of the other um, programs in addition to the health insurance. Well, so let's, let's I think, and it's, that's probably a great diving off um, point. So let's say I'm going to make up a person. Let's say I'm 60 years old. I've saved enough money for quote unquote retirement, whatever that may mean to that particular person. Uh, but I'm not working full time in a job where I have benefits anymore, uh, certainly health benefits. What are the first things that um, people should be thinking about? Um, and what are some of the immediate options you would counsel them to look at on the health insurance side? Well, from a consultant or advisor standpoint is try to make some planning before you take action because the, uh, the time period of some of their options could be, um, advantageous if they could hang on for working a little more. But the idea is to find out what's available to them when they leave their job. And if we want to get specific, you know, there's some federal and some state regulations that help a a person when they leave their job to continue their current benefits, uh, that could be a choice. <laughs> you look at the individual programs that are available, um, and, and we can go into all of those. But the, the biggest thing is their family. How old are they? How old are the spouses? Do they have any children? You want to look at each family and try to plan for their specific need. I, I've always kind of like solving complex problems. 
Mm-hmm. So every family has a completely different situation and you've got to keep an open mind that one size is not at all. And it's better to, to talk ahead of time before you get in a situation that you, you may not be able to change. So if I'm 60 years old, though, and you mentioned different programs, um, you mentioned, I think you referred to COBRA as one, a continuation of benefits. But if I'm 60 years old, what is it, only 18 months, right? Is it 18 months of COBRA coverage? So I'm still going to have to find some sort of other coverage. Is that the first thing that you would, other than continuing benefits through your employer under some sort of early retirement health benefits package, um, looking at COBRA seems like a reasonable or at least a short-term thing to explore because uh, a lot of folks want to keep their benefits at least short term because they you know dealing with loss of a job or whether it's voluntary or involuntary sometimes um, can add a bit more stress in, uh, there so what are some of the other things if they if you know post cobra or maybe we should talk about just cobra first any kind of counsel on the cobra side that right. uh, for our listeners to kind of get the basics what they should be asking or learning well let's let's go with you're leaving the employer um uh, there are also some differences as the size of your employer. Uh, COBRA applies to employers that have 20 or more employees, and that allows an individual to, to extend their existing coverage up to 18 months. It can be longer under some circumstances. But let's take your example. If it's a 60-year-old, and again, I'm the one that asks lots of questions. So is it just single, or do you have family? You know, other things. But I'll take your single 60-year-old. So you want to know whether the employer is less or more than 20 because if they do not apply to COBRA, there's a state continuation plan and that's only obligated to continue coverage for 12 months. And the idea of COBRA is that it allows that person to continue with the exact same program that they've had under their as an active employee, but they've got to pay all the premium. So that's your first key is what is that benefit do you need the benefits and how does it compare to something you buy on your own? So I always tell people, don't, don't dismiss that. You've got your letter, maybe expensive, yeah. but let's explore your other options before you discount that. You mentioned a state continuation plan. I'm, I'm not super familiar with it by that term. Can you elaborate a little bit more about that and who might be eligible for something like that? If an employer is less than 20 employees, John, they're not required to, to follow the rules of COBRA. That's a federal law that applies to employer groups of 20 or more. So those ground rules only apply to those groups. But less than 20, the states developed something that helped protect the employee that's leaving as well. The ground rules are different. Uh, the administration's a little different, but for these purposes, that, that person that's leaving for a small employer may only have an opportunity to continue that plan for a year. But similar to COBRA in a lot of respects, uh, the period sounds like it's a little bit shorter, but that's something I was not aware of. So um, good to know. Yes, they're considered the same. They would have the same benefits as uh, the employee. And, and many times when you're talking with someone, one of the decisions might be, well, what time of the year, what part of the year are you leaving your work? Because if you leave the work, you might have to start new out-of-pocket and deductibles and things from a brand new plan. Whereas if you were, unfortunately, had some expenses during the other year, that, that counts. And so you could sort of, again, it's strategy of what is your particular situation uh, as you decide uh, your strategy. Now, the, the thing is, too, 
from a financial standpoint, when we get into the other choices, nothing is set in stone. You can always change your, your choice in this individual world. These are uh, based on maybe if you've got good health conditions or not. But the COBRA and the um, state continuation, as you mentioned, are definitely finite. So you, you may choose to go COBRA immediately or say, that's not my best choice. Let's go into the Let's do something individual that's not related to the COBRA or state continuation. And so that listeners uh, just remember, so if your employer has more than 20 employees, you can COBRA, and that's going to allow you to continue that policy for 18 months. Under 20 employees, there's the state continuation program that allows you to continue that same plan. Um, And did you say that's only 12 months? I'm not hearing John. I just have to tell you, I just can't hear John's. Uh, audio very well, so I didn't hear the question. Oh, so what I think, so um, I think what Dave had asked is, and I'll try and do it. Uh, is he asked if you could confirm that the state continuation plan was one year as opposed to Cobra being eighteen months? Well, the state continuation, the longest it goes is twelve months. Okay, and you can stop at any time if you have other employment or uh, any of these things. You can stop Cobra anytime you want. Generally, you're thinking about. How long can I go if I don't have any other choice? Um, and let me ask one more before we move on to the individual plans, because I think that's where a lot of our listeners are a bit um, intimidated. But on the state plan, um, what kind of you do you maintain your current coverage? Are there certain state plans that folks have to select from? What more information can you share on that? Oh, well, I mean, and each state has their own regulation, but here in Virginia, it's very similar to COBRA and the idea that it continues the same plan that you're on as an active employee. So you're not changing plans. You're not getting another choice. You just pay the entire cost for the plan that you have been on as an active employee. And is there, where, where is the best resource for someone to look into that particular state plan? um, If their employer does not know. Well, the employer is obligated to tell you about it. Uh, many times an employer may have an administrator, usually a small employer may or may not know this, but I, I've pointed people back to their uh, employer to say, you need to ask them again for a letter, and then they maybe speak with their uh, advisor or consultant, and they get some help. Okay, good to know. Let's let's jump into, the, if it's okay with the rest of the crew here, let's jump into some of the individual plans. So whether it's, hey, our COBRA has been exhausted, and now we have to get coverage before Medicare age 65, or we're going to bypass COBRA altogether, kind of walk that person through the process of what kind of what they need to do at a high level and what are some of the considerations. I know that's a bit of a loaded uh, question, but let's start there and then we'll kind of follow it from there. All right. I will ask, or it should be known, their um, family members, who else needs coverage? Uh, because not each person has to have the same coverage. That's certainly a strategy. So you're finding out their information. Uh, you also want to know a bit about their medical conditions as an advisor because there's some choices in these individual plans. Um, and so once you've gathered some information, uh, the options that I would suggest they pursue are the federal marketplace, which is known as, as you mentioned, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. 
And there's certainly some ground rules and a fair number of moving parts there that help, depending on how detailed you want to get into. But the important thing there for people to know is they could qualify for uh, help financially on their premium based on how many people are in their household and their income for the year in which they need coverage. So the easiest way to explain that is that if you're involved in the federal marketplace and you get help when paying premium, your health insurance is now intertwined with your IRS tax return for that year. And some people qualify for help and some people don't. The other thing to keep in mind is that those plans do not ask any medical questions. There is no underwriting that will prevent you from having any um, coverage for a pre-existing condition. So they are the most stable for those that might be in um, not such good health or have medical conditions. And for those that do not qualify for getting help on paying the premium through tax credits through the IRS, you still can enroll, but then there's another option besides the federal marketplace, and that's short-term medical plan. Do you want me to move into that or stay with the federal marketplace, Scott? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, we can come back. I think we'll come back to the marketplace. Um, but let's go into short-term medical plans. I think that's an area that most people probably okay. Are not very. And then maybe uh, if you'd aware. like, I could sort of list the other options to make sure you don't overlook, depending on each circumstance. Yeah. So short-term medical plans have been around for decades. They have been very popular in past years because if you were between jobs, you could get a plan for several months that gave you some coverage. Well, those plans have, have continued to be around. However, they've got shortcomings um, and positive for some. Here in Virginia, the longest that you can write a short-term medical plan for most carriers is six months. So six months is the longest you get it, and if something happens to you, you may not be able to, to re-enroll for another six months. So you'd have to sort of keep that time limit in mind. In addition, there are underwriting questions that the insurance company can ask. And if you're unhealthy, they have two levels of underwriting. They can say, no, no, you're, you're unhealthy. We're not going to underwrite you. And the second is it, they will not cover pre-existing conditions. And some things are not covered by short-term medical plans that are covered under the federal marketplace. Some obvious examples, John, would be they don't cover the, the uh, preventive uh, annual exam every year. They don't cover maternity. They do not cover mental health. So there's some things that, as you can hear, they're not the best solution for everyone. But I can also tell you they're far less expensive than the federal marketplace, particularly if you do not qualify for getting help from paying premium. But it's real insurance. So it's a catastrophic plan, right? I mean, it's a it's a short-term catastrophic protection plan um, if, and naturally it would be at a lower. And more importantly, it's there for the unexpected, the thing that you're not really expecting. If you have a heart condition, you may not want to enroll in this because if you had a heart, heart attack, this is not going to pay for existing condition. However, if you had a car accident, it's going to cover that. So it, it's an alternative to consider with some of those factors we talked about. 
There's also some other insurance that I say beware. It's a red flag. And those are scheduled plans. Those are plans that do not pay whatever medically necessary benefits. They only would pay a set amount for an event. Um, and there's companies that, uh, I, I, you know, that just, uh, will write and pay you a certain amount if you go into the hospital rather than all of your expenses if you've got a million dollar client. It's a limited amount, but it could cover you if, if you so desire. So give me an example of like what, what carriers. I mean, I've not heard, I'm uh, admittedly not that familiar with those. I mean, are these plans offered by traditional carriers or are these, this is a whole like subculture of insurance companies that offer these plans. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. All right, I'll use your word sub, subculture. Um, I do not represent those plans. They are available. Um, I have folks that call me and say that they have become involved in a plan and what is it and how does it work. Uh, there are many, many products on the street that someone can be exposed to on the internet. Um, and again, speaking with you, speaking with someone that's reliable to help them know that this is real insurance, that if they have got a $200,000, $300,000 bill, half a million dollar bill, who's going to pay what? is the most important question you'd ask. The, min- the plans I'm just talking about, some of those are simply set up as a set amount that if you go in the hospital, it will pay you 25000 or it'll pay you 50000 You go to the doctor, it'll pay you $25. There's scheduled plans that may help in some expenses, but not in all. Now, are those generally um, put in front of consumers as an additional policy on top of their regular health insurance or are these being promoted as an alternative to um, you know having more comprehensive health insurance and Dave I think we've hit one of the, the problems of our audio I am really having trouble with you but I think I picked up is that in addition to regular health insurance which it could be it's my experience that they're marketed uh, not as both, but maybe instead of. So it's going to be, uh, in addition, it would pay in addition to health insurance, but generally it's uh, attractive to those that cannot afford uh, maybe the federal marketplace because it's expensive. And this may be an alternative that um, you need to be cautious of because it may not pay um, what you think it does. So something for folks to be aware of, again, as they're looking at plans, uh, yes. yeah, um, that, that it's out there. Um, and it's like anything else, right? I mean, you may get what you pay. And John and, John and Dave, I, I would say the place that people would come across those would might be in their internet search yeah. for health insurance. They may come across something and not have any idea, um, is it real insurance yeah. or is it a scheduled plan? Is it limited? It's just to be uh, aware of, of what you're buying and, and uh, asking good questions. Okay, so I think that's a good that's a good word of warning for folks as they're doing their research. So let's let's go back to focus on on the exchange, or let's say we're not on Cobra, and we're not going to buy uh, you know a short term medical plan. Um, so let's talk about the the eight hundred pound gorilla, healthcare.gov. What are the kind of where where would you start somebody off in terms of you know um, setting their expectations? around what are the things they're going to need to do first, timing, all that. I know, again, a lot of stuff there, but 
Walk me through what you would talk to a client about who came in. May I interject one other thing, that when someone, that 60-year-old that you're thinking, if they're coupled, don't forget that they could have yet some other options that may be obvious, they may not. Don't forget, some employers have retiree plans for those that are age 60 that have not reached 65. Make sure you explore those before you go outside. Also, don't forget your spouse. Your spouse may have an employer plan and their spouse is not ready to retire or come off work. You could enroll in their plan and that could be an, uh, an alternative for them. Yep, great point. And so the federal marketplace plan, the biggest thing that I um, speak to people and I think is to know what is their budget and what is their need. And I mentioned before, if they have some health conditions, that's really the place they want to, to think about going for the longer period of time. And there's a open enrollment period for getting into the federal marketplace. And that's during the fall for an effective date of January 1st. And you can, whatever plans you're on, doesn't matter. You could get off of the plan you're in and get into the federal marketplace during that period of time. Or if a person has what's called a special enrollment period, which is losing that group coverage when they turn age 60 and they've decided to, to retire or come off of it. And so they have the opportunity to look at it then and then each year. And when we're talking with folks, we, we want to make sure they understand what their choices are. The federal marketplace has various plans. They call them bronze. They call them silver. They call them gold. And they have various levels of coverage, but all of them have some basic minimum essential benefits that must be covered that protects each person. And so if the person is looking for coverage just in case, one of the strategies I have, let's pay the insurance company the least amount you need to to protect you against a catastrophic event. Let me ask a question there. The other thing to keep in uh, mind. Go ahead. Keep going. You're on a oh, roll. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll hold my question. Well, what I wanted to mention is that the federal marketplace plan, not only do they have high out-of-pocket expenses, just all, all of them do, they're also a closed network here in Virginia. All of them require that you use the network of doctors or hospitals that that insurance company has negotiated with. And if you use someone outside of that network, besides being in an emergency, you're going to have to pay for that all yourself. So does that mean that they uh, they are all HMO plans? Does that mean they're somewhere PPO? I know people have heard those terms before, and it may not be a one-to-one relationship here, but I think maybe people think in terms of that. So how, how does that compare to, say, what people might be familiar with? And using insurance jargon, well, I try to be as generic as I can. An HMO would be considered a closed panel as I mentioned, and that's what, at, at this point, all of the federal marketplace plans are closed, whether it be an Anthem or a Cigna plan or a Virginia Premier or Oscar. They are the, for instance, in Central Virginia, they are the companies that are available here. And each county, uh, John and Dave, decide where they want to do business. Not every carrier is in every county in the state. So that's another option. Where do they live? Know, what options are available to them. And the PPO that you mentioned means that you could go outside of the network 
that they have and pay more, but the federal marketplace plans do not provide that option here in Virginia. Okay. So what, the question I was going to ask before we get too far down the path is, um, I'm going to get back to the example of the 60-year-old. They could be 59. So if 60 is a nuance that we don't want to get into now, but they often think in terms of, okay, I stop employment on this date. I lose my benefits on this date. When can the new plan start? So just kind of the overlap or the timing. Typically, is there a rule of thumb? I mean, typically we found some clients, so they're their benefits last to the end of the month, uh, which they were empl- uh, employed. So if I retired on the fi- or if I left on the fifteenth, I'm covered at the thirtieth. Uh, some maybe stop immediately. Um, can you comment on that and what you see? And then, you know, if one were to get a plan on the exchange due to a qualifying event, what's the timing? Those I'm guessing are made retroactive um, to whatever date they were eligible. Can you just comment a little bit on how that actually happens? Each employer can decide when the coverage ends. So it is important for the individual to know when their coverage ends. It could be the day they leave. It could extend to the end of the month. So that's a really good question that's on the list that we decide, you know, we determine when is it going to end. Now, coordinating that with the federal marketplace, they only start plans effective the first of each month. So you can actually enroll in a plan with the federal marketplace within 60 days of when you lose the coverage before or after. So we're getting a little bit dicey into the details here, but that's part of the coordination. Um, that they actually can do it before they lose coverage or after. Uh, it's just generally you want to coordinate it for their employer plan to end and you pick up a plan so there's not a break in coverage. So basically what you're saying is ha- planning for overlap as opposed to planning for a gap, right? That's right. Okay, okay. That's that's a great tip, actually. It seems very obvious, but most people, to the extent they know they're going to be terminating employment, um, then uh, they should do that in advance. Okay. Well, it, and you alluded to something, and maybe if you want to get into it later, we can, but it's the strategy of when you want to leave uh, the employer, uh, that if the COBRA is an option to consider, that only goes 18 months. Well, what if you waited a few more months of your employer, you might be able to maximize that 18 months to some other option. Okay. I'm going to, we're going to do so this like they run a win strategically. Uh, go ahead. I'm going to have Dave, uh, step up here uh, to the microphone, like a shareholders meeting. Okay. Mr. O'Brien, would you ask your question, please? <laughs> Oh, technology is great. All right. So another situation, you know, we're in a pandemic. People are finding out that their employers are reducing the workforce. Uh, So you've got a 40-year-old. They might be married and have a couple kids, and they find out, hey, you know, your job has been eliminated. Um, What are the questions they should be asking, and what would make COBRA or um, Federal Exchange Plan uh, have, you know, benefits that would be more in their favor. What kind of walk them through the things that they need to be asking and the things that they need to be doing so that they make an informed choice? Primarily, as John asked, when does the active coverage end? Because in recent months, I've certainly been talking with people that have been furloughed and then called back, and then they might have been terminated. So making sure they know when their active coverage ends. And then deciding what is the best value for them. And remember what I 
mentioned earlier, you don't have to be committed for a long term here. You could do this incrementally. That the best way to think of value is, I think of two buckets of expenses. One bucket of expense is the premium that a person has to pay, whether they use their health plan or not, one time or 25 times during the, the year. The other bucket of money is what do they have to pay out of pocket? What do they have to share in the cost with the insurance company when they need care? So those two buckets should be evaluated on an annual basis, a six-month basis, whenever it is that we talk through what are their expenses. So when you add those together, that's where you take COBRA and you, you do the math. How much does COBRA cost and how much is it going to be cost sharing with the active plan for the rest of that year? And you compare that to the math of a, another option. What's the premium? It may be less, but they may have more out of pocket exposure if they have care. And so it may be better value for them to go COBRA initially. And then if their circumstances change or not, uh, they could change that uh, drop COBRA after six months, eight months. They don't have to go 18 months, Dave. So the, the decision could be uh, evolving, but it's doing the math to figure out what's the best value for them financially. That's great, Tom. Thanks. So um, now if you go a little deeper and they're looking at those two buckets, one is how much they're paying in premiums. That's an easy one to compare. The other one, I think a lot of consumers really get confused about there's, you know, out of pocket. All right. So you've got a deductible, you have a copay. And if you could walk people through, what are the components so that they can kind of do that math? Very good. One thing to think about is are you likely to use your health plan during the year? And nobody knows if you are or not, unless they obviously have medical conditions. I would like to start with what's the maximum out-of-pocket exposure you have under any of these circumstances if the worst case happened. God forbid you got hit by a truck on the interstate, you're, you're diagnosed with a, a serious illness and you've got a lot of expense. What's the most out-of-pocket expense? And and that's one way to start. And so if you want to be specific about the federal marketplace plans, they're very consistent in 2020. They will probably be very consistent in 2021. The maximum out-of-pocket for any of those plans, it doesn't matter how much premium you pay, is $8,150. That's the maximum out-of-pocket. And then under that, there are other things. There's the deductible and there's co-payments and co-insurance. And I'll try to explain that. Think of the deductible as being the very first bar that an individual has to get over for the insurance company to participate in paying. If they're a member of a health plan, they get the advantage of the negotiated rate that that insurance company has worked out with that doctor or the hospital. So they're going to automatically pay the same that the insurance company would pay, but they got to pay it out of their pocket until they get to that deductible, whether it be $5,000 or $2,000. They need to pay that out of their pocket first. And then the insurance company generally 
pays along with the individual, and that's called coinsurance. So the insurance company may pay 70% and the individual may pay 30% until that 30% and that deductible I mentioned, until they reach the out-of-pocket expense. There's one more item that's very common in, in plans, and that's a copay. And that would be if you went to your doctor, and instead of being subject to the deductible of $5,000, they may have put a copay of $40 or $25. So that each person would pay $25 or $40 each time they see the doctor. In the uh, federal marketplace world, all of those costs accumulate toward that maximum out-of-pocket. So the discussion is, how likely am I to, to have those expenses? It's really hard to know, but Dave, that's where I would challenge the person, are you likely or not? If you don't, don't think you'll have those big expenses, let's know that that's your catastrophic worst-case scenario. And, and figure that as your, uh, in, in your calculation. That's great. Thank you. Um, one thing I'd like to uh, follow up on, uh, because I know this is a question that is important to a lot of people, um, and I know we're kind of running short on time. We're about 10 minutes. But can you just touch on um, drug plans, vision, dental, all the other things that go away uh, that people should be thinking about and some counsel on that? That is really an important thing to bring up. When someone's losing their group insurance, they are giving up probably many of those benefits. They may have a dental plan, a vision plan. They could have a disability plan. They could have life insurance. Um, those are not available for the federal marketplace, but certainly are available to individuals uh, to consider um, to complement and fill in some of these gaps that is, are caused by these uh, high out-of-pocket medical expenses. For example, the DUC, the AFLAC folks have really drawn attention to supplements. And that's certainly one example of supplements that might be an accident. It could be critical illness. It could be a cancer program, heart attack payment. That helps the individual pay them directly, and they can use that for anything that they want in addition to the health insurance. So if the health insurance has an $8,000 out-of-pocket and they were hit on the interstate by a truck, they might get a payment of $10,000 separate from the health insurance. They could use that to pay for those expenses. They could pay the supplement, pay for putting food on the table, for the mortgage, the car payment. So there are some other pieces that the individual may want to look at based on their family need and their budget for putting all of those pieces together, sort of that first bucket I mentioned, the premium, whether you need care or not, versus, you know, what do I have to pay out of pocket if something dramatic happens? And those are available, John, on the market um, through, and individuals may not even know that they qualify for this, but they certainly could pursue those. And I encourage them to look at that from their overall uh, financial planning and and uh, income you know, preservation standpoint. If nothing else, cash flow. It, it helps their cash flow if 
they could save that $8,000 out of pocket expense if they've got a supplement that they paid a few dollars premium every month. All right. So that, so, and I think a lot of folks, especially those who have group plans are aware of, Hey, I can pay $2 a month and get a cancer policy through Aflac or whatever that, that can help. Obviously, uh, when you're talking about, um, uh, deductibles, coinsurance and closing a gap there, what about, Again, I hear this all the time. What about my dental plan, my vision? What am I going to do? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe that's not in your wheelhouse specifically, but I'm guessing you know enough to have an opinion on that. Can you give folks some things they should be thinking about You know, when that thought comes across their, their, their mind? Well, since you gave me the opening, it's definitely in my wheelhouse. Uh, there are many dental and vision plans that are available as well. And you know, being an independent agent, there are various plans that you can choose from. Dental, as things to be aware of, as an individual dental plan, generally the, dent- the dental insurance company is going to try to protect themselves by having some waiting periods for some uh, coverages, maybe the crown, the root, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, major things like root canal may have a waiting period but they could be waived if you already had group coverage and you decide that you're going to drop the group coverage and you go immediately into uh, a dental plan. Those are the questions you want to ask when you're looking at a dental plan. Is there a waiting period? How much does it pay for certain things? And is there a network? Dentists participate in networks far less frequently than medical professionals. Uh, They've just been able to, uh, continue doing business and participate less in a uh, network, which is fine. But those are questions to ask. What is your out-of-pocket expense if I use one of their dentists or not? Um, vision's the same thing. And I will mention this. I look at dental and vision as being somewhat of a commodity. Is that even though I'm in the insurance business, if they only go to the dentist every two years or, or only go get their glasses Every two years, they may not need help. They may not need insurance. It may be better to pay as you go. And particularly if somebody's the 40-year-old that uh, Dave mentioned as an example, they may not have the budget for that. Maybe later they get the dental and they can, those are not underwritten like a medical condition is. So those are considerations to add. Do you need the dental? Uh, Is it better off? Um, dental, for instance, uh, good dental health overall, better for uh, overall health. Uh, but it's a choice that's more of a, a math, another math problem because dental expense is generally not as high as medical expenses could be. Now, you mentioned something, and I know, again, we're running short on time. I'm going to give everybody a chance to say something here. But um, and maybe I'm the only one thinking this, but maybe there are some other listeners out there. You mentioned the dental and uh, vision plans aren't underwritten. Um, does that mean, let's say I've got great eyes and I've never even gone to an optometrist, so maybe I don't need uh, insurance, but guess what? My vision's starting to go, as mine has. Um, is there, can, can they go on a plan if they find they've got eye issues um, when they need it? Similar to dental, I guess. Really good question. Vision insurance is focused on your eyeglasses and getting contacts or glasses and it helps you uh, have an exam and uh, your glasses. If 
you have cataracts, uh, macular degeneration, um, glaucoma, those are medical conditions that affect the eye. They would be covered under your health insurance program. So vision is generally looked at for uh, getting help uh, on eyeglasses because they're not covered. The refraction uh, and examination is not covered under your health insurance plan. But to answer your question directly, yes, you can enroll in a vision plan or a dental plan anytime. Now, the insurance company might put some things in place that helps protect them. Vision doesn't have any waiting periods generally. Uh, under your example, if you started needing glasses, you can enroll in a, a vision program and, and take advantage of it immediately. Uh, dental, on the other hand. Or you could pay 100 bucks and just go see the doctor. That's right. right. So that's something people can evaluate as needed. Obviously, we're not giving advice, per se, on this podcast. We're having a discussion. But those are questions that people can ask and things to think about. Okay. Um, so what I'd like to do is I'm going to go around the room here real quick and see if – and, Tom, I'm going to give you the last word, um, of course, at the end. But, Dave, Cecilia, I'm going to let you guys – if you have any other questions – obviously, I can think of tons, but we're running, again, low on time um, – I'll have you walk over to the mic here if, if we want to fire another one away to Tom. I don't have any questions, Tom. Thank you for joining us. It sounds like really you should just be planning ahead, you know, actually doing the math on the cost of these options and exploring things that maybe you didn't think about um, that these people are having regarding health coverage and even as far as dental and vision. So thank you. I appreciate it. Well, and to your point, um, I was just going to say to, to her point, maybe the best decision is not one that I'm involved in. I want, I want the individual to make an informed decision. And if going on COBRA or doing something that doesn't involve something I'm involved in, at least they've made a, a good and informed decision. So I think in, in just kind of wrapping up so that people have these things written down and remember them, um, when they're making that decision of what type of a policy do I get, uh, whether it's on the federal exchange or whether they COBRA, um, or even if they're just evaluating what their employer plan has, uh, I, I think your idea of expense benefits or expense buckets rather is is really helpful. And just to kind of um, pull that up a, a level here to summarize, you've got what are you going to pay in premiums, and then what's the maximum that you could pay in a year if you had a really bad year as far as claims? And I, I think you mentioned there are these three components. There's your deductible, which is uh, the first bar that you have to get over uh, until the insurance company starts paying. Um, your co-pays, which might be you know, $40 for a visit or $20 for a visit, um, they count towards that in many policies. And then once you hit that deductible, um, then you have your co-insurance, where you're going to pay a small percentage, the insurance company is going to pay a small or a much bigger percentage. Those are the things to look for when you're comparing different types of plans. And the maximum amount of pocket, I think you said, is $8,150 per family? No, that's an individual. And, Dave, that changes every year. The government sets the limits. So for each individual... 8150 is the maximum they would have to spend out of pocket. And so that's, a, that's what individual health insurance looks like these days is maximum out of pocket. John used the term catastrophic. Um, I mean, that's a lot of money. And, and again, some of these things that you brought up, 
supplement, something that might fill those gaps might be of value to help someone's cash flow if uh, something completely unexpected happened. Great, great. Tom, any last um, thoughts, things you think we may have uh, glossed over or any parting thoughts of wisdom to, to any of our listeners today? Well, one thing that I did not get into and you guys would be involved in helping is knowing that the decisions that you make on individual health insurance are not a commitment. They're not similar to a 30-year mortgage. You could help people manage their income through the years. That age 60 example might be perhaps they have assets, perhaps they have bank accounts that they could manage. They could qualify for tax credits under the federal marketplace and it's only based on your 1040. It has nothing to do with what's in your bank account or under the mattress. So you may be able to advise clients one year is different than the next year as managing their income to take advantage of the cash flow uh, through the federal marketplace. Uh, and just remembering that there are really different pieces of this. If we can use the puzzle analogy, uh, don't get committed to to a long term is that we've got different puzzle parts that might go into someone's uh, plan and we may replace one puzzle part and put in another one next year to help them get the best value, uh, you know, and the best outcome for them. So I always think of this, don't, don't look at this as being a decision you're going to keep with uh, really like a mortgage. Uh, let's review it. Let's keep doing a, a review of what your circumstances are um, so that you stay ahead of uh, whatever the, you know, the financial situation is that it presents itself. That's yeah, a great point. It's a great point, especially for folks that we work with. Um, everything can be quite custom depending on the uh, legislation at the time, your particular situation. Um, very different from once you get to 65 and you've picked that supplement plan. Uh, and your limit, your, your, your options become much more limited. Because it's, it's darn expensive for a 61-year-old or a 63-year-old that does not get tax credits. It's darn expensive under the uh, federal marketplace. So anything you can do to help manage that premium and cash flow piece, I say take advantage of it. Excellent. Well, on that note, why don't we wrap this thing up? Tom Lee, thanks so much for... Uh, dealing with the technology and the social distancing via podcast. Uh, we promise one day to have you here and we'll do it in person. You're certainly welcome. I am glad to have the opportunity. I hope it helps your clients. Yep. I think everyone will find it quite informative. So for those of you still listening, don't forget to check us out on Twitter or Instagram at EvoFi Podcast. And if you're not already a subscriber, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So thank you all for listening. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye.